So you guys saw the, my family up here, and if you know my, my wife and my daughter, you know that despite my mock protest that the two of them start listening to Christmas music on the day after Thanksgiving, uh, and they don't stop for the whole month of December, uh, because Vicki says it's one of the things that, uh, to her, makes the Christmas season so special and so memorable. And you know, that's probably true for a great many of us here today, because Christmas carols, like we have sung and heard the choir sing, remind us of good times gone by. They remind us of sitting on the couch in our living rooms and watching the lights on the Christmas tree while listening to the stereo. Uh, or, or maybe they remind you of moving worship services where the voices of church choirs just shake the rafters, whether uh, it's in grand city cathedrals or in small country chapels. But either way, these familiar tunes are just one of the things that make Christmas, Christmas. But you know, carols are more than just music. And their lyrics are more than just poetry because their words remind us of the reason for the season. They remind us of the birth of a Savior. And you know, in those songs, if, if there's a, just one quintessential thought, if there's a, a crystallized idea or maybe just a single word in all of that music that describes what Christmas is all about, it's the tiny little word joy. Joy. And, and you know, several of our favorite Christmas carols mention it, right? Like there's joy to the world. Good Christian men rejoice. Joyful all ye nations rise. And, and it's hard not to feel joy when you come into church uh, with this group of people and you sing these wonderful songs. It's just that when Monday morning rolls around again, it's not always easy to keep that joyful feeling going, is it? when you have to get back to the day-to-day -day business of life. And I think part of our problem is that we've gotten the wrong idea about what joy is and about where it comes from. Because, you know, we tend to connect it with happiness and think that joy depends on our circumstances. And quite honestly, it's hard to stay upbeat when you're going from one doctor's appointment to another. Isn't it, Miss Barbara? <laughs> right? Or when you're navigating through major home repairs during the holidays. Uh, or by frantically racing through the shopping mall in search of last-minute gifts. In fact, just the cost alone of visiting any of those places this time of year uh, is an excellent way to either get you so down or to get your blood pressure so up uh, that most people in the world have no first-hand experience during this time of year of any lasting joy in their lives. And so what I want us to do today is take a look at the real source of joy and how we can hold on to it, even when everything in our lives seems to be turning upside down. And we're going to be doing that by looking at some sacred music. Two pieces of music, actually. The first being Psalm 25, uh, which is the uh, Psalm of David and one that comes up in the logical progression of our series through the book of Psalms. And the second is a one that's more familiar to the season. It's the Song of Mary when she found out that she was going to be the mother of our Lord. We see that in Luke chapter 1. But let's, let's look at the psalm first, uh, particularly the opening verses of Psalm 25. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to, uh, to look with me in Psalm 25. It's a psalm that's superscribed as being of David. <clears throat> and he writes, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. 
Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. And then just kind of keep that text in one part of your mind. Hold on to that. And I want to turn now to Mary's song as it's found in Luke chapter 1. So if you're following, it would be Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 46. And what we're going to read there is sometimes referred to as the Magnificat, um, a name which comes from the first word of the Latin verse of the text. And it just means to magnify. And Mary's song is really all about that. It's about magnifying God's salvation his salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and even though uh, he hasn't been born yet at the time she sings it, uh, she wants to praise him and magnify his name and give glory to God for everything that he's done and for this great promise that he's just about to keep. So if you're looking at it with me, it's Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. <clears throat> and Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He scattered the proud and haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his seed forever. That's a beautiful passage, isn't it? Uh, and I hope you were able to catch the similarities between those two sections of Scripture, uh, to catch the expressions of joy over the great reversal of God's deliverance in both of them, because... With God, nothing is impossible, is it? Uh, and did you notice the parallels? Because you see, in, in Psalm 25, we have David, uh, this guy who's the youngest and uh, the least impressive of all of Jesse's sons, this little shepherd boy uh, from whom no one expected much of anything, uh, much less the greatness to which God uh, exalted him. And yet, he's still able to speak of waiting patiently on God's day of deliverance and salvation. Uh, and you know, that very same theme rings from Mary's song of praise for God. Now, when we look at it, of course, the idea of a delivery uh, for her and the tangibleness of God's salvation were much more immediate than they were for David. Uh, but from both uh, Mary and David, we hear their amazement at what God has done as he enters our world really by overturning everything that we've come to expect from the world. Right through making uh, what was up down and making what was down up and, and forgiving hope uh, to those who by all rights should be completely hopeless, but who against all hope are led into a lasting joy, the joy of praise to God. That's why Mary's song starts out in Luke 1 uh, with her saying, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. Uh, she says, Oh, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. But so we have to ask ourselves, what was it uh, that prompted her to sing those lines? About 20 verses or so uh, earlier in the text in Luke 1 where we find the appearance of the angel Gabriel. So Luke chapter 1, we read, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. 
Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. You guys remember the story, right? The, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary uh, and announces that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. And although Mary is kind of confused by the idea at first, she submits to the Lord and an amazing thing happens because Mary is told in Luke one thirty five, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And if you remember the story after this incredible announcement of this miraculous conception, Mary is so filled with joy that she just has to share the news. And so she goes off to visit her relative, Elizabeth, who's uh, expecting a miraculous child of her own. And when these two women meet, the Bible tells us that they're so overcome with joy uh, at everything that's taken place in both of their lives that they just break into a song of worship and praise, just like uh, godly women have done before them. Because, you know, if, if you know your Bible and your Old Testament... When Mary says that her spirit has rejoiced in God, she's saying she has understood who God is because she knows what he's said in his word. Uh, that she believes in the truth that he's revealed. And you know, that's really the beginning point of all true and joyful worship of God. And really a right understanding of the realities about him because true worship doesn't depend on the flutter of emotions, but it depends on spiritually understanding the scriptures. Uh, and Mary is really showing uh, that today in the way that she worshipped because, remember, her whole life would have been thoroughly soaked in Scripture. Uh, you know, we know that from the word she speaks because this song of hers, as we said, is so similar to songs that she would have sung in church, in synagogue, as it were, growing up. Because uh, remember, this book of Psalms that we've been taking such a long look through, uh, these Psalms were, were scripted to be sung and to be recited. They're Israel's hymnal. And they're repeated, not uh, just a, a, as songs for worship, but for everyday life. And they had a big impact. They had a big impact on the people of God in Mary's day, uh, as those, those classic hymns that we like to sing have on us in our day. In fact, one commentator said that to the Jews, the Psalms saturate the memory and the hope and the life of Israel. A, a life that is given by God and that's lived back to Him in worship. And, and so... Mary would have us know uh, that Psalm 25 was a psalm that she would have heard sung in the temple and in the synagogue. Uh, and not only Psalm 25, it's similar to the songs of Hannah in the Old Testament. If you remember the song that she sang when she gave birth to Samuel. Uh, it's also similar to the song of Miriam in the book of Exodus. See, Mary knew the word of God, and so it just naturally came out of her when she worshipped. And as we move a little further into the song, uh, into the rest of this song, we see more of those truths that she learned as she transitions now in this song from praising God to being joyful for what God is doing for her personally. And so if you still have your finger in the book of Luke there, in verse 48 she sings, For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. You know, we were talking about this in, uh, in Sunday school class, but sadly, until very recently, I had a, a fair amount of respect for our Catholic brothers and sisters. Uh, that is, until the recent light has been shed on the epidemic uh, of abuse and Rome's almost total lack of response to it. And, uh, you know, along with their errors, I think some of them have mixed up these two verses that we just read. 
You know, because Mary says that she will be blessed, but she says that God is the one that's holy. And, you know, I think some folks have mixed that up, and, you know, as in the, that prayer, uh, Holy Mary, Mother of God. Now, she definitely is the mother of Jesus. Uh, she definitely is blessed. She definitely is worthy of our respect as an example of a willing servant of God. But we can't ever forget that it is God and God alone who is holy. Uh, you know, Mary was just a regular person like the rest of us. And she didn't have to be perfect so that Jesus could be born without sin. Jesus was born without sin because he didn't have an earthly father. Uh, but God, who alone is holy as his father. And we can't forget that. And, and actually, Mary reveals her knowledge of that in these verses because first, uh, she speaks of her lowly state. She speaks of her modesty and uh, her meekness of heart in the face of this great revelation from heaven. But, you know, she's also talking about her human condition. The same one that we're all afflicted with. She understood that she was a sinner in need of a Savior just like everyone else. And so secondly here, she recognizes that she's a servant. Uh, she's got a servant's heart. She refers to herself as the maidservant of God. Uh, and she knows that she doesn't deserve anything from God. But she has a desire to serve Him. Uh, and she just wants to praise and serve God uh, and please Him. And she realizes that it's only because of God's grace that from then on all generations are going to call her blessed. And, you know, when she says that, it's not a statement of pride. It's a remembrance of what the angel Gabriel had already told her when he appeared. Do you remember we read, <clears throat> the angel said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And, you know, she has been blessed. Uh, Mary uh, is the most favored woman that's ever lived on the face of the earth, but that shouldn't lead us to idolize her, uh, which is something that I'm really confident that Mary would not have wanted but rather she's to show us uh, that we are blessed if we accept the gift of Jesus Christ as our Savior. And, and you know, believe it or not, there is a way that you and I can actually be uh, more blessed than Mary was. And I'm going to show you how. You know, later in his life, <clears throat> Jesus was teaching one day and a woman uh, in the crowd shouted out to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you. He just shouted out from the crowd, Blessed is the womb that bore you. And listen to how Jesus responded to her in Luke eleven twenty eight. He said back to this woman, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. What a great answer, right? Now, Jesus is not trying to downplay uh, the significance of Mary's blessing, but he's putting it in perspective. He's putting that blessedness in perspective. Uh, because as we've already seen, Mary was blessed because of her knowledge of and her obedience to the word of God. And, and Jesus reveals here that if you and I want true joy, if we really want to be blessed just as much, if not more than Mary, uh, all we have to do is do the same thing she did. We have to hear the word of God and obey it. That's what it really all comes back to. Uh, the word of God has to be heard. It's got to be joyfully obeyed because that's where the true worship of God springs from. That's where the true joy from God comes from. Whether you're uh, King David in the old kingdom of Israel or Mary in the first century, uh, or you and me here today, if you want to worship God, uh, you've got to get into this book. If you want joy, uh, you've got to get this book into your head and into your heart. And it's not going to happen by tucking it under your pillow. Right? And Mary's song spells that out as she understands uh, what God has done for her. And as she continues this song, she tells us uh, she understood not only what God has done for her, but the joy of what God has done for the whole world. She tells us in Luke 150, 
Uh, He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. Jesus' his mighty arm has done tremendous things. He's scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. So you see, Mary sings that and responds, telling us that God has two different ways that he treats two different people in this world. Uh, there are those who fear God and obey him, and there are those who are proud and arrogant. She says the ones who fear God and who obey him receive his mercy and his provision for their needs, and they're exalted. And her song also shows us that the opposite happens to those who trust only in themselves. Uh, To those that are proud and arrogant, they're cast down. She says they're scattered, and she's saying the proud trust in themselves and in their own thoughts, but God scatters their plans and they don't work out. But she says while the proud are brought down and left empty-handed, the humble... And the lowly are filled and exalted, not because their plans are so great, but because their God is. Right? Not because their plans are great, because their God is great. Uh, because you know what? His plans never fail. And, and that blessing that God has poured out on the world comes to us through the Messiah. That's the wonderful promise of joy that Mary is singing about. As she saw the Lord turning everything in the world upside down. She says, the weak dethrone the mighty. The humble scatter the proud, the nobodies are exalted, the hungry are filled. Uh, And you know, those truths are comforting for us too. Because when you're downtrodden, God can lift you up. When you're slighted, God can bless you. When you're insulted, God will exalt you as long as you stay humble and lowly by staying in the word of God and staying obedient to it and joyfully magnifying the name of Jesus. But you know, more important than all of that is when the word of God combined with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, allows you and I to recognize that Jesus Christ uh, has saved us and what he's done for the world by lifting us up out of the pit of sin and slavery. You know, because even though we deserve only punishment, God doesn't give us what we deserve, does he? Uh, But he gave the world Jesus Christ instead. And everyone who believes on him receives the joy of redemption and eternal life. That's what Mary's talking about when she says that she knows his good news is not just for her generation. Uh, That's what David longed for as he waited on God's salvation in Psalm 25. That good news of Jesus Christ, that it would be passed down from generation to generation throughout the whole world and right into this church today. Because, you know, the good news is for all peoples, for people of every tongue and tribe, every race and nation, the blessing of God through Jesus Christ to everyone who responds to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But you know, the trouble is a lot of people today are more than willing to receive all the good things that God has for them, but they don't really want him to change their lives. They don't want Jesus to be in charge of uh, what they do. They don't want Jesus to be in charge of the choices that they make. But you know, Mary would have us know that if you try to receive Christ without letting him reign in your life, you're still missing the mark. And you're not going to enjoy or experience the joy that God has for us. Because you're still exalting your own plans and your own ideas instead of God's. At least until you come crashing down and have to ask God to come to the rescue, right? And you know, that's perhaps something that uh, else that Mary here uh, is singing about and hints at when she says he's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. Because you know, Jesus wasn't born in a palace of gold, was he? He wasn't born in the royal residence in Jerusalem. Uh, He was born in a stable. He was clothed in rags. He was laid in a feeding trough. All so that, as Martin Luther said last week, that you and I uh, could be comforted 
could be comforted by Christ the downtrodden as he reveals himself in this lowly entrance into the world. And you know, his humility doesn't diminish his, uh, his birth, does it? If anything, it helps us realize the great sacrifice God made for us in his gift to humanity. The ultimate gift of joy that comes to us in the simplest and humblest of wrappings, the gift of God for the people of God. That baby in the manger, the creator of the universe, clothed in human flesh. And that's really the truth we see uh, expressed in this final stanza of Mary's song, and that's her joy for Israel. She sings in Luke 154, uh, He's helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And because, you know, although Israel has almost always been in a state of rebellion against God, God reminds them through Mary that he's never going to forsake them, that he's always going to remember his promise to them, that he will always fulfill his promise, especially his promise to Israel as a Messiah. And, you know, Mary once again shows her knowledge of Scripture by quoting one of the promises of God to Abraham from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. If you remember the story he promised Abraham, and through your seed, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, don't ever let anyone tell you that God has permanently set aside the nation of Israel uh, and that he won't ultimately save her because if God doesn't fulfill his promise to Israel, he might break his promises to us. But we know that God always fulfills all of his promises, doesn't he? And Mary shows that she understands that the baby in her womb is God fulfilling his most important promise to Israel. Uh, and that is that God is going to come and fulfill his word. Uh, and all of that sparks a song of joy that just burst from Mary's lips. A song based on what she knew about scripture that he would do for her people in sending the Messiah through them. Uh, a savior who would fulfill the promises of scripture to the whole world. Uh, this is what Jesus tells us in Matthew 5. He said, don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. He says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Uh, achieved in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because he himself is the word of God made flesh at Christmas, bringing the joy of salvation, uh, not just to the world, but to you. And this is really where Christmas kind of gets uh, intensely personal. You know, it's not enough just to abstractly say that Jesus came. Millions of people believe that and they're still lost. It's not enough to say that Christ came for someone else, because you and I can never know the joy of salvation until the Holy Spirit shows us that Christ came for me, shows us that Christ died for me, that Christ rose for me. Do you believe that? Right? You know, just a few days, Christmas is going to be here. Uh, families are going to gather around the tree to open presents. I know my kids already can't wait to rip into them because what good is a gift that never gets opened? You know, 2,000 years ago, God sent us a gift wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. And Jesus is God's gift to you at Christmas. But you'll never experience that Christmas joy until you personally receive the gift. And so I close with the words of the angel to the shepherds who said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And what's the source of that joy? Uh, it's the same as it was for Mary. It's the same as it was for David in Psalm 25. The joy of the long-expected Savior, the joy fulfilled for unto you, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior 
which is Christ the Lord. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, during this Advent season, may we remember the greatest gift ever given, the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Fill our hearts with joy day by day as we think of our Savior putting aside his heavenly glory and coming as a newborn, coming with a stable for a roof, ordinary parents to care for him. And Father, out of that remembrance, just allow our hearts to overflow with joy and praise, not just in this season, but all through the year. Through Christ our Lord we ask. Amen.